If you have your Bibles, you can grab them. Turn with me, John chapter 18, verse 15. John 18, verse 15. The title of the message today is How to Miss Our Moment. How to Miss Our Moment. And I have a subtitle for you. I think you'll enjoy it. The subtitle is Peter and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. We're going to be studying about Peter's life and specifically a very bad day in his life. But first, I just want to address for a minute, why is it uh, that the message is called How to Miss Our Moment? Well, it's no secret that for you and I, um, we live in a culture that is growing increasingly hostile to the way of Jesus and increasingly resistant to it. Uh, Sociologists have called our our cultural moment that we're in uh, a post-Christian culture. And what that means is that there are many people that they are purely apathetic to religion, to faith, to the way of Jesus. In other words, it's great if you want to come here on a Sunday and kind of waste your day off sitting here, and that's fine, you do you, but I'm just going to do my thing, and I would prefer if you didn't bother me with religion or with faith. And so there's people who are apathetic to it, but there are a growing number of people that are actually hostile to the things of God, that they are actually, as a culture growing, um, resistant to it and believing that faith and faith in Jesus is actually a dangerous thing. Um, Mark Sayers, he is a pastor and a writer from Melbourne, Australia, or as I like to call, the worst of the two Melbournes. Amen. This is obviously the best one. And uh, he writes and he says this, that as a community, as a, a culture, we want the kingdom without the king. In other words, there are things that Christianity offers and talks about and values, love and equality and justice and kindness. And these things our culture in general wants and desires. However, um, we can want the kingdom without the king. In other words, we don't want it the way that God says that he wants it. And so uh, God, he, he, he has a way of doing things. He is creator. And he has outlined for us um, how he wants family to be, how he wants society to be, how he wants culture to be. And in general, our culture is saying that's actually not the right way to go about it. And, you know, this is probably not a surprise to us, but I'm not just talking here about sort of general cultural trends. I'm actually really talking about the reality that you and I are facing on a day-to-day basis. And I'll give you a few examples. For, for students that are in here, you hear one thing at church. You hear one thing from people who are teaching the Bible, but then when you look at your phones, at Instagram, at TikTok, when you look in your classrooms, on your sports fields, you're getting a message that's entirely different. For, for young adults that are in here, perhaps you know and have grown up with many people who at one point they were following Jesus alongside you and now they've walked away. Maybe even you yourself are wondering, man, is this whole faith thing worth it anymore? Maybe you're an employee and your place of, of business that you work, they are promoting values and things that you know to be wrong. Maybe you're a parent and you're asking the question, man, how is it that I'm going to raise my kids in this generation? Maybe you're a parent of older kids 
and they have actually, some walked away from the faith that you raised them in. And so the question that we have is, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond to the moment that we find ourselves in? Well, as I was studying, I discovered um, in the life of Peter, and specifically in the way that Peter acted during our story, what I discovered was that he did some things that we should not do. And so Peter, today, he's going to provide a great example of how not to act, how not to respond when threats and opposition comes. And then at the end of our time, we're going to look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to discover how we should respond. And so really quick, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to dive in. God, thank you so much. We ask you that you would speak to us through your word. We want to hear from you, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 15, we're in verse 18. Excuse me, I'm reversing that. John chapter 18, and we're in verse 15. That was my third. Um, Jesus, he has just been arrested. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And soldiers, Roman and Jewish soldiers, have come and, and tied him up, and they're carrying him from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. And in this moment, what we see in verse 15 is this, that Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Now, when we read that they were following Jesus, this doesn't mean they were committed to being disciples. This just simply means they were actually walking behind Jesus as he was being uh, led from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Verse 15, it says, because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. And the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. And so here we have Peter and this other disciple. We don't know who it is. They end up in the courtyard. Jesus is inside the house, and he's being interrogated and questioned, and now they're hanging out outside. Verse 17, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. And Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. So in this moment, Peter is questioned about his relationship with Jesus. He's threatened. Jesus is arrested, and so he distances himself. He says, I'm not with him. I'm just interested in what's going on. Now, what's interesting is, I want to flash back to just a few hours earlier. Jesus and his disciples are walking from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what we read in Mark 14. It says, on the way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. And Peter said to him, bold claim, bold promise to Jesus, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. But Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. So Jesus, he says, listen, you're going to deny me. I know that it's going to happen. So let's keep reading. Jesus has made this promise. Now, meanwhile, verse 19, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Verse 20, Jesus said, I have openly spoken to the world and I've always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. 
I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. So Jesus, basically what he's saying as they're questioning him is, if my message was so dangerous, if it was so deadly, if you feel like you need to arrest me, why didn't you do it in public? What do you actually have on me? Verse 22, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face, the first of the abuses Jesus would take in that day. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I've said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what it is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, just a little historical fact for you. As I was reading this, the first time, I kind of was a little confused by the characters. In, in verse 19, Annas, the high priest, questions Jesus. And then in verse 24, Annas sends him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. I'm like, why are there two high priests? So in, according to Jewish law, a high priest served for life. There was only one high priest. However, when Rome came in, uh, Rome basically got to do whatever they wanted to do. When you have the most soldiers, when you wear the crown, you can do whatever you want. And, and so Rome, the, the rulers would kind of fire the high priests at will whenever they wanted, probably to show and exert their power. And so Annas, he was high priest, but then uh, he got fired or deposed from his position. And so over the course of his life, five of his sons and one of his son-in-laws, Caiaphas, became the high priest. And so you can kind of think about Annas. He's kind of like the godfather figure, right? He's highly influential. He uh, is very well respected, um, but he's sort of a figurehead. He's not the actual person who's in charge. At this moment in time, Caiaphas is in charge. Now let's look at verse 25, and it says this. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they ask him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. So once again, he denies. Verse 26, one of the, Peter, the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? So just a rule of thumb, if you're going to go around cutting off people's ear, it's going to make you more recognizable as a person. People tend to remember like what you look like after these things have happened. So unfortunately, Peter's standing there. He's like, wait a second. Like, you're the guy that just cut off my buddy's ear. Like, I, I know that's you. And so what happens, verse 27, again, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. And so it seems like just all of a sudden, people, things just got out of hand for Peter. Maybe he was only planning on denying once, but things happened so fast, and eventually he actually denies Jesus three times. And the Gospel of Luke actually adds this detail. It says in Luke 22, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. It's like a dagger moment. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And so we see this epic, huge failure that Peter has. Now, just a sneak peek, in a few weeks, we're going to read John 21 and study that together. And it's one of the most beautiful stories in the whole Bible. 
It's the story of Jesus restoring Peter after his terrible, horrible day. It's the story of Jesus bringing him back into ministry. And this is a beautiful thing because maybe there's even people here today. And the reason you're not full throttle following Jesus and involved is because you feel like you've let Jesus down. And you can never come back. But, but what I love about the story of Peter is that Jesus loves restoration. Jesus' heart is for restoration. Simon Peter, who did probably one of the worst things that we can imagine, denying Jesus on the night he's going to the cross, he was restored into ministry. Jesus used him to build his church to write books of the Bible. And so, man, if you're sitting on the sideline because you feel like, man, I failed God too much, Jesus can restore you. He can send you back into ministry. Amen. But we're not talking about restoration right now. We're talking about the subject of how to miss our moment. And so I want to look and explore the story of Peter. And I believe that there's three things that we see Peter do that are a great example for us of what not to do. When Peter faced threats, when he faced opposition, when he felt the fear of danger coming at him, he responded in an unhealthy way in three ways. And I think there are three ways that you and I can do it as well. And so the first thing, how to miss our moment is this. How to miss our moment, sleep. Amusing ourselves to death. Peter's failure didn't start in the courtyard. It didn't even start when he was in the garden and Jesus was being arrested. In fact, it started moments before that. And if you remember from last week, Jesus leads his disciples into the garden. And the reason he does it is because he wants to pray. We study this beautiful moment where Jesus surrenders himself to God. But Matthew records something really interesting if you look on the screen. And it says this, going a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed. And he said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So Jesus, with his prayer of surrender, but this is key, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying. And Jesus says that because this happened, you open yourself up to temptation, you weaken your spiritual strength, and you increase the desire to give into the flesh. Now, when I talk about sleep, I'm not necessarily talking here about physical sleep. Like I personally, I love sleep. My goal is to get seven hours every night. Unless my kids don't let me, I'm going to do it. But, but what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about spiritual sleep. And I believe that there are things that you and I can do that we can take into our lives, that we can participate in, that dull our spiritual senses. That, that keep us from being focused on who God is, what his mission is, and what he has called us to do. 
I'll give you this example to, to think about. My wife and I, um, I'm going to let you into a little, a little secret in our marriage. We have kind of a little bit of a, a dysfunctional part of our marriage, okay? So I'm just, I'm trusting you guys with this. So the dysfunctional part is that both of us have a really bad sweet tooth, and we pretty much just enable each other. And so, like, what, what this means is, like, we'll be like, you know what, this week we're going to eat healthy. Like, we're, we're not doing anything sweet this week. And then, like, come, you know, Monday night, one of us will be like, you know what, like, I'm really feeling a donut right now. Like, I'd love one. And so, like, if Katie says that to me, like, you know, I took a vow in our marriage vows that I would provide for her needs as much as I am able to do. And so, like, I'm not going to be the guy who's like, we can't do that tonight. Like, let's do it. I'm ready because I want it as well. Like, I was barely holding on to self-control in the moment anyways. So then, like, the next night, like, I'm the weak one, and she's the one who's like, let's go. Let's get some Oreos. But, but like, w- when, you, when you go hard on the donuts, when you go hard on the Oreos, like, like, it's beautiful in the moment. But, like, there's, like, a haze that comes over your body afterwards. You guys know this, right? Like, it's like I can't move. I'm staggering around. I can't think. And that can happen to us spiritually as well. That we can allow things into our heart and into our mind that keep us from being spiritually sharp. Peter, later in his life, he would write this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And for you and I, we can allow so much entertainment, so many hobbies. We can even allow substances into our life, and it clouds our vision and clouds us from moving forward into what God has called us to do. And I'm all for rest. I'm all for enjoying life. I'm all for connecting with community. But we got to be careful that we're not allowing things in our life that are lulling us to sleep and keeping us from seeing what God is doing. You know, practically speaking, a really great way to fight against this is to regularly build a short fast into your rhythm, into your routine. Yeah, wow, let's go. And, and doing that, building that fast into your rhythm and routine, you know what that does? That actually reminds us that, that the goal is not comfort. The goal is not always to be as comfortable as possible, to feed our flesh as much as possible. The goal is to be attuned to what God is saying. So Peter, he, he slept. The second thing that Peter did, how to miss our moment, is this. Peter, he, he, he fought. And so what we can do is we can fight. And here's how I would define fighting is fighting is trying to use earthly weapons to win spiritual battles. Now remember, the soldiers come, the Roman and the Jewish soldiers, and they surround Jesus. And you're in John 18. If you look back at verse 10, it says this, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And Jesus commanded Peter and said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And so what Peter did was he wanted to do something to help. He, he wanted to do something to, to stop evil from happening, but he took matters into his own hands and he actually got in the way of what God was doing. So what does this look like in our lives? Well, I think often what happens is 
that you and I, we can look out at the world and we could see culture declining. We can see people that we love walking away from God and we can start to feel fear and we can start to think, man, I got to do something about this. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Here's what I'm not saying. I do believe Christians should be active in culture. I believe that Christians should vote. I believe that Christians should participate in every sphere of society. And there are some in this room that God has called to be in different places and different spaces within society. We're called to be sought and light everywhere. We need great Christians in education. We need great Christians in business. We need great Christians in politics. And so I'm not saying like, let's just all huddle up in here and not get out there. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that Peter, he tried to, to do something spiritual in the flesh and in his own power. And here's a couple practical ways that I believe that you and I can do this. The, the first is, I think that you and I, we can make an idol and we can be obsessed with current events and with, with politics so much so that, that we lose sight of Jesus and we lose sight of the mission. And, and again, I want us to be informed. I, I want us to vote. I want us to be involved. I want us to know what is going on. But, but there are people that, make, that, that have, are so addicted to it that it's actually part of how you feel alive. You feel that dopamine kick. You feel that adrenaline as you engage with this. And it, it fulfills your mind and your imagination. And that's what gives you meaning. I remember back in, in 2016, after that election, there were Christians that I knew that, that were friends of mine. And they were so devastated by what happened that they felt like they had to wait until four years later to be happy again. Then I remember 2020 happened and there were Christians who were so devastated that they're like, we got to wait four more years. And my friends, I want to tell you, like, I don't have to wait four more minutes to, to walk with Jesus. I can read my Bible right now. I can pray right now. I can tell somebody about Jesus right now. I can go out and find a need and meet it in Jesus' name right now. And we can so easily forget about that if we become addicted and, and idolize cultural events so much that we lose sight. Another thing that can happen is we, we can have a desire to do something good in Jesus' name, but we can forget that we must do it with the character of Jesus and with the fruit of the Spirit. You know, you can say the right things, but if you don't have love, then Corinthians says that you're actually a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Peter tried to, to do something helpful, but he ended up hurting somebody and he ended up, ended up cutting off somebody's ear. We can act in such a way that we cut off someone's ear. We keep them from being able to hear the message of Jesus because of how we're acting. Colossians says this, Colossians 4, we should live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. And, and I'll just be honest with you guys. Like for me, when I think about my natural response in the flesh, my natural response is, is to sleep and it's to fight. You know, over the past few years, 
There are people that, that I deeply love that, that have walked away from the faith. And it's hard. And when that happens, you know, what I want to do is I just want to go to my home. I want to turn on Netflix. I want to eat Krispy Kreme. And I just, I don't want to go out. I don't want to feel the pain of that. I'd rather just, just stay to myself. Or the other response that I have is to fight. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to post something that's going to show them how dumb they are and how smart I am. I want to show the world. I want to demonstrate it to the world. That, that's what I desire in my flesh. But, but listen, we got to be careful that we're not burning a bridge that's going to lead somebody back to Jesus. You, you know, I have in my home, I have a, a home project that I am uh, I'm procrastinating on right now. And uh, I, I had a guy come out and uh, fix some stuff on my door. And it's an outside door, but there's a little bit of mildew on the outside of it. And so he told me I need to take some bleach. I need to uh, get, get the mildew off the door. And then I need to paint it with kills. And then I need to paint it with a final coat. And so, like, it's a project. I know I need to do it. But I was thinking, you know, I, I could take an axe and I could get rid of the mildew on my door. It, it would go faster th than if I did it the other way that he said. And it would actually be very effective at removing the mildew. But it would ruin the door for what the purpose is. And when we fight using earthly weapons, what we're doing is we're hurting people and keeping them from their purpose of actually knowing and walking with Jesus and engaging with him. So sleep, fight. And then the third temptation that we have, how to miss our moment, is to hide. You know, G Peter he compartmentalized his faith. He, he, he stated that he would rather just not let it be known that he was a Christian. It was just easier for him to set that aside and blend in. And it is easier for us to do that sometimes. When we're at school, when we're at work, when we're in the community, it's just easier that, that nobody know I'm a Christian because if somebody knows they're gonna judge me, they're gonna think negatively, maybe I'm gonna mess up something and, and hurt their chance at a relationship with Jesus. And so I get the temptation to do that. But, but the thing that we have to realize is this, that we are called to identify with Jesus and to actually let people know that we are with Jesus and to speak his name. So we've learned how to miss our moment. Now I want to look at Jesus' example as we look to finish out this passage. So look at verse 28. It says this, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover if a Jew entered into the house of a Gentile, they would have to wait seven days of being ceremonially unclean. So they stayed outside the palace so they could continue to celebrate the festival. Verse 29. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? We're introduced to a new character here. We're introduced to Pilate. Pilate was a Roman governor who had been appointed by Caesar to rule over Judea, to rule over that, that, that area of the country. Now, for our story, for Christians, Pilate is a really big deal. 
Like he is a central character in the story of the crucifixion. But we got to realize in the Roman Empire, uh, Judea was not very significant. It was sort of like the, the backside of, of the Roman Empire. Like, not a lot of people knew about Judea. Pilate was not this huge, big person in Rome. He was a re- governor of a tiny little province. It would be like, imagine that our, our president had the power and he had the authority to appoint mayors of every city. Like, Pilate would be like the mayor of a town in Wyoming, you know? And, and like, with all due respect to Wyoming, it's not at the the center of the conversation a lot. And and that's what is happening. That's what's going on with Pilate. But Pilate was known as an incredibly cruel man. He he was known in the Bible, but also throughout various different historical texts as a violent man, a man who stole people's property, a man who shed blood with no problem. And so that's who who we're dealing with here. And Pilate says, what charges are you bringing? Look at verse 30. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. But Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Now here, Pilate is kind of making fun of them because the Jewish people, they did not have the power to actually enact uh, capital punishment. They couldn't kill anyone on their own. So Pilate's like, why don't you guys just do it yourself? He's trying to get them to realize, yeah, 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 like he's the one who's actually in charge. This is a power trip. We have no right to execute anyone, they objected. And this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Why did he ask this? Well, the Jewish leaders, the best way for them to get Pilate to execute Jesus was to convince Pilate that he was trying to lead an uprising. If Pilate believed that Jesus was trying to overthrow the Roman government, he would be instantly killed. And so Pilate's like, hey, they're claiming, are you actually the king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus asked, is that your idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Verse 36, this is so important. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. We have to understand, if we're going to understand and wrap our minds around how to live and how to interact with our culture the way Jesus wanted, we need to understand the concept of Jesus' kingdom. You see, Jesus says to Pilate, I have a kingdom. I am the king, but my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. My my followers are not trying to storm the palace and overthrow. It's a different kind of kingdom. And so you and I, this is a big idea that we have to understand and write down. It's this, that we live and we reside in earthly empires, but we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We reside in earthly empires, but we're citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Your passport may say U.S. of A. or Thailand or or Costa Rica or Canada. But truly, as a follower of Jesus, you are part of his kingdom. And your primary allegiance is to him. There will be a day when Jesus comes back. 
and his will be the only kingdom. In the new heavens and the new earth, he is going to be the visible king. And his kingdom will rule and reign. But for now, Jesus, his kingdom is just as real. But, but he has decided that, that his kingdom is not going to overthrow one of the earthly empires, but that Jesus and his followers are going to actually infiltrate every earthly empire with the power of the gospel by his disciples living out the principles of his kingdom in all of the other earthly empires. And so, yeah, amen, amen. And so what we have to realize, Peter, he wrote this years later in 1 Peter. He said, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. So how do we do this? How do we live as citizens with our allegiance to Jesus' kingdom in our community? Well, a, a few months ago, Katie and I, we were driving through town, and we drove on a road that we typically do drive on, and we, we passed this house that we've passed a bunch of times. And the house is one of those houses, and you probably have a house like this in your neighborhood. It's just like, was an interesting house to us. Like, what is going on at this house? We've always wondered this. And so we're driving by, and I look, and again, streets at West Melbourne, two minutes from 192, and I look, and there is a Tibetan monk walking out of the house to the woods behind his house. And it was just like a very astonishing sight. Like, that's all I could say. It just, I, I, I didn't expect it. I'm like driving to a normal place, probably Krispy Kreme, and I see this guy that seems like he's from a completely different place. And, and it's so interesting because he lives in West Melbourne. His address is West Melbourne, but he's living as if he's a citizen of somewhere completely different. And I thought that is how we need to be living as well, that we're citizens of a different kingdom, that, yeah, we live here, but our allegiance, where we Focus is somewhere else. So here's the question. How do you and I live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom right here and right now? Well, as we close, three thoughts quickly. The first is this, that we live as citizens of Jesus' kingdom and we become, when we become people of prayer. You know, Jesus, this whole night for him started in the Garden of Gethsemane with prayer. And so Jesus shows this example that his kingdom is a kingdom of prayer and his followers are going to be people of prayer. And I think it is so important for you and for me because when we are people of prayer, we're getting reminded who is in charge. We're getting reminded what is most important. And, and we're getting reminded this is how I am supposed to act and my heart should be towards the people around me. So here's the thing. If we're tempted to fight, to use earthly weapons to, to solve spiritual battles, a lot of times when we feel that temptation, we want to act before we pray. And the reason is because we don't want to ask God for permission. We want to ask him for forgiveness. So what I mean is like if you're tempted to respond in the flesh to someone and to, to really just show up and be like, you know what, I'm going I'm to step out here and I'm going I'm to fight this person. 
Not, not physically, but like if you're tempted to post on Facebook, if you're tempted to say a comment, a lot of times what you're trying to do is like, like you know if you start praying for that person, God's gonna give you a different heart. God's gonna remind you of his love. God's gonna remind you that we are called to love our enemies, that we're called to love our neighbors, that we're called to serve each other. And so when we pray, God changes our hearts and gives us marching orders for how to move forward. We're called to be people of prayer. The second thing is we are called to be people of truth. We're called to be people of truth. Look with me at verse 37. Pilate continues his interrogation of Jesus, and he says, you're a king then. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the very reason that I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. See, Jesus, he says, my kingdom is is a kingdom that's going to testify to the truth. And the reality is that you and me, we we follow a God who created the entire world. And we follow a God who has set things in motion a certain way. And there are things about our faith that are very popular and that people love. And there are things about our faith that are unpopular and that people do not like as much. But but our church is committed that we're going to preach through Scripture. We're going to stand on truth the popular things, and the unpopular. And the reality is that God did create the world. The reality is that miracles do happen. That God does have an opinion. He has thoughts on marriage and sexuality and gender, on when life begins, on what justice looks like, on what compassion looks like. And as the church, we are called to be salt and light, and we are called to proclaim that truth, even if it is unpopular. Now, I I do want to say this because I believe that there are people in this room that would say, Brian, like, I I love Jesus. I'm compelled by Jesus. I want to follow Jesus, but I'm really having trouble wrapping my head around the truth. I'm having trouble believing some of the claims that the Bible makes. And what I would encourage you is that, that Jesus, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so many people, they love the idea of Jesus being the life. But that comes with Jesus being the truth. That he gets to say, because he is king, this is reality. This is what I say reality is. And we are called to walk in step with that. Now, Jesus is patient. And so he invites us to come along in that journey. But I think so often in our culture right now, the first step towards walking away is not rejecting Jesus. The first step is rejecting truth. And then that comes along with rejecting Jesus down the line. And this is why, you know, in March we're going to have an apologetics conference. Apologetics is just simply defending the faith, explaining that our faith is a rational and reasonable faith. It's specifically geared toward youth and young adults because we believe that our faith, it makes sense. It does take faith, but it's rational, it's reasonable, it's compelling. And we want to demonstrate that to this generation. We want our generation to be confident in the faith that they have. So we're a people of prayer. We're a people of truth. 
But last, I want us to see one more thing. Look at verse 38. With this, Pilate went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Another sneak peek for you. Next week, Pastor Dave is going to teach, and he's going to talk about the character Barabbas. What a beautiful, beautiful story that is. But for now, the third thing that we see and that we want to be part of as citizens of Jesus' kingdom is costly love. You see, Jesus in this moment, he was standing for truth, but he was demonstrating costly love. He was literally laying down his life to serve everyone to serve his enemies. And I think for some of us, we're nervous about the idea of truth. Like, man, I love Jesus. I love being a kind person, a nice person, but taking a stand for these truths is challenging. But for others, truth can almost be like a wall that we put around ourselves. That's like, okay, well, I'm just a truth guy. And we don't think about how we're coming across to other people. We don't think about being kind or loving. We we just say, you know what? I'm just going to say the truth. And my way of loving people is saying the truth. It's like, well, yeah, but you're kind of being mean while you're saying the truth. And so what Jesus has designed is that he took a bold stand for truth. He never backed down or apologized for truth, but he lived a life loving and serving every single person, his enemy, his neighbor, his friend. And for you and me, what we're called to do is both 100% truth and 100% love. We, we demonstrate with our actions, man, I love you. I am here to, to demonstrate God's love for you to whoever God brings in front of us. And, and how that looks, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. But we are people of prayer. We are people of truth. And we are people who live out Jesus's costly love. Let's pray. God, this is a, a message that we have to process and we have to think about. We all in here see what's going on in the world, and we're all trying to figure out how to respond to it. And so, God, I pray that our church would be a church of prayer, that we would be dedicated to praying for a powerful move of God in our day and in our age. God, I pray that our church would not be afraid of the truth, that that we would be bold with truth, but that alongside that truth, that, that we would demonstrate costly love, that we would love our community and serve our community. Lord, I pray that each person in this room would embody that message. And I pray that you would lead us along the way. God, if there's anyone in this service right now or watching online, that doesn't know you, I pray that they would respond. If that's you and you need to come back to God or you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, there'll be a prayer team down front and they would love to pray with you and invite you into that relationship with Jesus at the end of our service. God, we thank you. Please continue to move. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 